Well, it's good to see everyone. We'll begin in prayer. Then our focus will be in chapters 31 and 32 of Numbers, but we're actually going to begin back a few chapters prior to that with a little bit of a review of something that we dealt with several weeks back that certainly connects because really chapter 31 today will pick up where we left off in chapter 25. So uh, there's a context that I'd like to briefly look at. And so let me pray and then we will begin. We'll be in numbers throughout our, our time this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful as we are each day for our life and breath and every good thing. You, your grace is on display in our lives in so many ways, in countless ways. And so we do well to begin our day mindful of your many blessings to delight in, in your character and our right response to who you are with our right response being trust. And so even as we gather this morning to worship you, I pray that, that our worship would be informed by your character, that we would trust in you, trust in your word, believe your word and obey your word. And so now as we look to your word, give us ears to hear, help us to think rightly about what we read, and may we respond rightly with uh, faith and obedience. We thank you for this time. Uh, be glorified in it all. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'd like to just begin with several verses from Numbers 23. And so I bet there's a large number of, of people in here, or a good number of people that, that benefited from, at some point in your Christian life, the, uh, the topical memory system of, of just scripture memory on a variety of themes. And if I remember right, I feel like Numbers 23, 19 was, was one of those verses that you would memorize. And so it's interesting, even as, as Ben was teaching this just several weeks back, I, I feel like just never had really given much attention to the context in that verse that, you know, this is, this is part of Balaam's uh, prophecy, you know, when, so he's, he's speaking rightly, that uh, the Lord speaking through Balaam. And so when, when you read uh, verse 19, we're, we're mindful of very important truth about the character of God. Just, just kind of think again, okay, so this is Balaam saying this, right? So verse 19, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So much to be informed about the character of God as you look at this verse to see both the truthfulness of God. So we know we, the truthfulness of God's character. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that uh, he should change his mind. And so we're seeing the truthfulness of God, the immutability of God. And so if we rightly recognize God as God of truth, so too is his word. God's word is true. So it's just fascinating to me to think Balaam says this, then look at some other things that he says in light of God's truth. Look at verses 21 and 22, just, just after that acknowledgement, well, this, in the same oracle, this second oracle, speaking of God, he says, behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. So Balaam's 
complicated because he doesn't believe these things uh, in regards to uh, he's not trusting in God. He's not believed God in the sense of faith in God. But these things that he's saying are so true. So just think how ironic it is. If you're acknowledging that God is a God of truth, God is immutable. And then when you speak of God's people, God has blessed Israel. God is with them. The shout of a king is among them. Look at the next oracle, the third oracle, verse 8 of chapter 24. God brings him out of Egypt. So God is faithful to Israel. He's brought them out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. So, guess what I'm getting at is if when we jump into chapter 31, it is where we left off in chapter 25. Uh, and th- there's, there's more that's taking place, obviously, after 25. But, but 31 is this next event in light of the events that unfolded in chapter 25. And so if you're thinking back, okay, in our whole study of numbers, uh, Balaam has spoken rightly about God because the Lord is speaking through Balaam. He prophesies these things. He gives these oracles. He speaks truth. He says truthful things about God's character and this reality that, that God has blessed Israel. God is with Israel. Israel's adversaries are doomed. And so you read, he's going to eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. So where I'm getting at here is we're going to find Balaam in chapter 31 as one of those fighting against Israel. You know, these, he's already said, here's what God's going to do to these other nations. He's going to eat them up. He's going to break their bones in in pieces. He's going to pierce them through like arrows. Good plan or bad plan to be a part of Israel's adversaries based on what Balaam has already said. You know, right, bad plan. And so, boy, we're really seeing something about the hardness of the heart of an unbeliever when we see Balaam a part of Israel's adversaries. So he, we're, he, we're going to find him listed in chapter 31 of the uh, fighting amongst the Midianites in this battle against Israel. And remember, there's even more here in regards to Balaam. The very reason that chapter 31 is a response to 25 is because of this physical and spiritual um, adultery that takes place in chapter 25. Um, and the idea that brought this uh, immorality about was an idea that, that Balaam kind of whispered in the ear of, of Israel's adversaries. Like, listen, God's blessing them, but uh, you really want to mess with Israel? Uh, cultivate, you know, this immorality amongst them by, by bringing these women to um, seduce them and cause them to behave unfaithfully to their God. This was Balaam's idea, what takes place in chapter 25, this Baal worship and immorality in chapter 25. And so then at the end of, of 25 in verse 31, um, well, no, 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 that's not the right verse, but uh, 17, thank you. Um, he says, harass the Midianites and strike them down. 
So, so 31 is going to be this obedient act based on the Lord's command in verse 17. Harass the Midianites and strike them down. So as you begin the chapter, even the, the subtitle that's given in, in my ESV Bible, it says, Vengeance on Midian. This is the response to the, what unfolded in chapter 25. Uh, let me just read a quote from one commentator. This is Ian Duguid. He says, uh, and I believe one of you brought this up when we even talked through chapter 25. But in the Lord declaring this, this war on Midian, it, it's for their part in this sin that, that Israel committed. It's, it's the Midianites were also sinning against God. And so this was the Lord declaring war on Midian. And so this commentator, he writes, uh, those who lead God's people astray will be held accountable for their actions as will those who are themselves led astray. And so you just see God's justice on display here in chapter 31. And so he uh, also quotes Luke 17. I believe this came up several weeks ago, but just think of, think of what's said in Luke 17. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And so we are seeing uh, the judgment of God among, upon those who lead God's people astray. They will be held accountable for their actions. And so we are reading of this justice, this vengeance on Midian in chapter 31. So lengthy chapters. Let's see... Um, how, how much of it we can, we can read, and certainly we want to deal with, with um, the, the content of it in both of these chapters. But let's just go ahead and begin. I'll read 31, 1 through 12. So as, as you look at this, you're going to recognize some familiar names. These names are individuals that, that came up in the events that we were just referencing. But, but I'll just read through the, this section and then make a few comments. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, arm men from among you for the war that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. Verse four, you shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were provided out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. They warred against Midian, as the Lord commanded Moses, and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. And the people of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their little ones. And they took as plunder all their cattle, their flocks, and all their goods. All their cities and the places where they lived and all their encampments, they burned with fire. And took all the spoil and all the plunder, both of man and of beast. Then they brought the captives and the plunder and the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the congregation of the people of Israel at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. 
Okay, so here's this, this battle that takes place with the Midianites, who are some of the names that are familiar in this battle. Balaam. Balaam, yes. Good. There are others. How about even, so, so Balaam was mentioned. How about any specific names from what unfolded in chapter 25? Phineas, good. So this uh, zealous uh, for, for God's glory, Phineas intervenes, steps in, eliminates the, the, the uh, adulterous act that's, that's taking place. The next one's a little bit harder, I think. I don't, I don't know if you would have necessarily caught this, but um, so Cosby was the name of the, the, the woman that was involved in this, uh, this act, and, and her father is mentioned here. Do you see him? Sure. Yeah, good. Thank you, Rick. Yes, in verse 8, when they list these, these leaders of Midian, the, the kings, these influential men, these leaders, Zur is, is mentioned as one who was killed. Okay, so this is, this is holy war, uh, this, this theocratic nation. This is God's nation, Israel. They are, they are to act out in war against this ungodly people, the Midianites. Uh, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 20 real quick. I, just, I thought it would be important to um, speak to this briefly, um, this idea of, of holy war, that this goal in God commanding Israel to, to war uh, here, and this would be an example of it in chapter 31, but then we're going to read of it throughout, you know, uh, this campaign in Canaan. And so you're just going to see that, that there's this goal of purging idolatry from, uh, from them, you know, eliminate the temptations for Israel, purge idolatry, remove temptations. But what's really vital for us to understand is there's no nation other than Israel that can view themselves as this successor to Israel in, in this role uh, of um, theocracy, this role, this theocratic kingdom that's in the Bible. So there's no nation that can claim to be the heirs of the law of holy war that you'd read about here in Deuteronomy 20 and you see on display even prior to Deuteronomy 20 in, in um, Numbers 31. So my point in that is that, that we just would do well to recognize you know, the distinction between Israel as God's chosen nation um, in, in the commands to, to, in the laws concerning warfare that were given to Israel specifically. So if you're looking at Deuteronomy 20, let me just reference a few verses that I think will be helpful in understanding what takes place in Numbers 31 and why Moses even responds in anger uh, in just a few moments when we go to the next section. But uh, if you're looking at Chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, I'll read first four, four verses. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. 
Okay, now move over to verse 10. Here, here's what it's going to look like when they go to war with these ungodly nations. Verse 10, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. So I'm just going to pause for a second to tell you this is, you know, this happens later than Numbers 31. But, but you're going to see some of the, what God has commanded of Israel in Numbers 31 is going to match up with the right response that, that takes place amongst the Midianites. But what's being communicated in Deuteronomy 20 is speaking of when, when you go to war with these ungodly nations that are far off, they're, they're not cities in the land, um, here's what it's going to look like when you fight against them. You're going to kill all the males. Um, where, where was that verse about putting all the males to the sword? Verse 13, uh, you will put all its males to the sword, but the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil you shall take as plunder. Okay, then that's for the nations, that's for the cities and nations, cities that are far. Look at verse 16 though. But in the cities of those peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. So what's very significant here is you are seeing that goal in the holy, this holy war communicated there at the end of that section in Deuteronomy 20. They are to purge out the, the temptation. Uh, they are to leave no one breathing so that, uh, that the temptations are removed. They purge the idolatry. God's glory is on display um, and, and Israel is distinct among the nations. And so that's going to help us in understanding what they do here in Numbers 31. Because much of what you read there is taking place. But what's, what's interesting, you know, first off, we haven't been given Deuteronomy 20 yet, in, you know, as you're reading of these events in, in Numbers 31. But also, Midian, the, the battle with the Midianites is kind of in between both of these commands that's going to be played later. When you're talking about, they're, they're, they're not, you know, part of the, the land that is given as an inheritance to the Israelites, but they are close in that you're thinking they, they were encamped among the Israelites in this, this event that took place in chapter 25. So you're just seeing the, the give and take of both of these um, necessary, uh, that, well, just the necessary purging that needs to take place. So, so it's pretty dramatic to read of what they do when they war against Midian back to Numbers 31. Uh, that indeed, they, they kill these kings that are listed. They killed Balaam. Uh, the people of Israel took captive the women and the little ones, and they took the plunder. They, they took all of these spoils, and then they burned these cities with fire. Um, 
And then they brought the, the spoils to Moses and to Eleazar. So let's see what Moses' response is then, moving into the next section. Verse 13. Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the chiefs of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had come from service in the war. Moses said to them, have you let all the women live? Behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. So I'll just pause there for a second to say when we, when we read that quote earlier, just to be reminded that those who lead God's people astray are held accountable. You see Moses angry in this because those who led God's people astray not all were held accountable. And so Moses' comments about you let the, these women live is because it's connected to chapter 25. He's, he's angry that those who led God's people astray were not um, brought to or, uh, the sword. So um, verse 16, behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord. Verse 17, now therefore, Kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man by lying with him. So you just see the wrath of God on display in the, the Midianites are a threat to God's people because you've seen it in chapter 25. Their, their pagan worship and the, that influence that it brought upon the Israelites was was detrimental. It was harmful. It was deadly for the Israelites. And so the Midianites' influence has to be utterly removed from among them. And so even this, this command from the Lord is to kill all the males. Uh, every male, verse 17 says, uh, that's 20 years old and upward. No, every male um, among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man by lying with them. So, so then you're thinking all of, the, all of the women that are not virgins are to be killed. And so, so it includes all of those who have been involved in chapter 25, but it includes more women as well in the command to kill every woman who has known man by lying with them. So then verse 18, but all the young girls who have not known man by lying with him keep alive for yourselves and camp outside the camp seven days. Whoever of you has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. You shall purify every garment, every article of sin, all work of goat's hair and every article of wood. Um, any, any thoughts or comments here? I, I need to get through verse 24 here to finish up this whole purifying the camp, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Jim. Um, interesting to note that Midian was not included in that list favor, uh, further in Deuteronomy. This was a special case. Midian declared war on Israel by this uh, subterfuge that they, they did. So this was a special case. And also, God did the same thing to Jerusalem when they acted like this. Interesting. He wiped Jerusalem, they say, wiped them like a plate hmm. and sent them off into captivity. So it's not that, that necessarily God was just 
going to war against these people, but against Ron Righteousness. And yeah, very good. Very good. Yes, Mark. Uh, I can see uh, a non-believer <clears throat> using this as a uh, that if God is a loving God, I think he's tell the Israelites to go murder and plunder and kill everybody. Yeah. Right, so they, this is a, a text that you just have to wrestle with the, the character of God and, and the sinfulness of man. And so then when you're recognizing no man is deserving of God's mercy. And so when you see God acting out in righteous anger, wrath, um, just, you know, that we, we just we have to bow the knee and, and respond that, that, that God is righteous in all that he does. And so you're seeing his wrath on sin, his judgment on sin here in this radical um, response or this, this, uh, this response that, that takes place here. It's consistent too, I mean, as far as God using an instrument for to carry out his judgment. Isn't that, you see that yeah. in other places where the nation will be used against nation. But it's always, yeah. uh, I, I mean, if it highlights anything, it highlights the holiness of God and his concern for his people. Mm -hmm. And um, if there's any lesson we can draw from that, it's how much God hates sin and uh, wants to purify. Because spiritual adultery is even an issue in this so far in the book. I mean, that's been and it underlines how much we need a savior. I mean, what would we need being saved from if it weren't for God's wrath? Mm -hmm. Yes. Also, if, if somebody just thinks God is love, that's a real narrow view of what God really is. Very good. Very good. Important statement. Yes. Uh, are these the same uh, Midianites who oppressed uh, Israel during the time of the judges, or is this a different uh, kind of? Uh, well, so it's, okay, so there, there are Midianites that would geographically have been different places. So you're talking Midianites, yeah, it would be the same like Midianites, but the, the Midianites that were involved in chapter 25 and were encamped in, in this region, they're, they're eliminated. But yeah, there are still Midianites. Yes? In, in line with that same question, I don't know if I asked you this last time we talked about the Midianites. Is this the same group or uh, nation that spawned Moses' father-in-law? Yes, that's right. So, so, right. Moses, so Moses would have been amongst the yeah. So Moses is commanded. I mean, you kind of divided here, right? I would think it's not mentioned in the Bible. But he's commanded to uh, exercise the wrath of God against his father-in-law's people. Mm. So, yeah, that, well, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting takeaway to think of, of Moses' ultimate love for God and desire to please him. In fact, there is... There's no it, though, of him ever, nothing in Scripture, you know, he ponders that, whatever, he just does it. Yeah, in fact, if I was just going to look at the, the statements that tend to be... Um, emphasized in this chapter, like verse 7, verse 31, stuff like that, where Moses and Eleazar did as the Lord commanded Moses. Uh, verse 7, um, the Lord commanded Moses, and um, as the Lord, I'm sorry, as the Lord commanded Moses, they killed every male. So you're seeing obedience here. In fact, it's interesting to even note, uh, if, if we're able to uh, get 
to the chapter 32 as well to, to watch this, um, the warnings that Moses gives in the, the next request that's going to happen in chapter 32. You're seeing Moses very concerned for the people of God that they're going to behave like the first generation. And so his appeal to them to not act like the first generation. Uh, one of the distinctions between the first generation and the second generation that is listed throughout chapters 31 and 32 even would be that they do as the Lord commanded. And so that, that's a huge contrast between these. And that would explain why you see this next generation enter into the promised land. Um, okay, so just to summarize then this second section that ends in 24, you see this command from God to purify all who are involved. We, this, this is not a shock to us. It doesn't seem like over, um, you know, overly dramatic in our study of, of Leviticus and then even what we've seen in Numbers to see the need for, you know, um, the purity, those who um, would be impure because of the, the dead that they would be exposed to. And so these soldiers and, and everything involved was to be purified. Purify yourselves, um, they're told, and the specifics of how to purify um, both themselves and everything, the spoil from war is given in those verses. So again, just as much as God's response to the Midianites speaks to his holiness, so too God's commands to Israel and how to now purify themselves after going to battle as they were commanded by the Lord and doing what the Lord commanded, they still need to purify themselves um, from battle. And so they, they do as, as the Lord commanded. Uh, let's jump then into verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, Take the count of the plunder that was taken, both of man and of beast, you and Eleazar the priest, and the heads of the father's houses of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts, between the warriors who went out to battle and all the congregation. I'm just going to pause here because I tried to kind of put it down on a little table for you in the handout. But just as much as we read even in Deuteronomy 20, when there's going to be this command of what it's to look like in, in um, purging evil and then... Uh, taking spoil, taking, uh, taking the spoils of war. Uh, there, there's specific uh, commands on, on how they're to do that and what they're to take. So when you walk through this, the, the spoils of war, I should even say large numbers. And so in fact, those who would not take God at his word, Numbers 31 is one of those chapters where they say, see, see you cannot take God's word seriously. Uh, they're gonna, they, they, this is just like, you know, some like, just uh, yeah, I guess yeah. They're using the hyperbole about the numbers. Uh, in fact, when you re later, spoiler alert, you're going to read the exact number of of men that die of Israel in the battle, and you're just going to be. It's remarkable to read of this, uh, and they say well, surely that can't be true either. To go to battle against these um, formidable foes and for no one to die. That makes sense. So there's people who would attack God's word. Numbers 31 doesn't add up. In fact, Mark, to your point as well, they, theologically they would have, take issue with the wrath of God in, in killing um, women and killing babies. Yeah, and so, so Numbers 31 is one of those chapters that's really um, attacked. So you'd go back to Balaam, uh, Balaam's prophecy, God is not a man that he would lie. Okay, so in this spoil then, you have it in front of you. Basically, uh, you see how many sheep as we move through this text. Uh, there's going to be 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 women. 
So of this quantity, what's described in Numbers is that, that half of the spoil goes to the congregation, but first is listed half goes to the soldiers, those who, who went to war. And so then when you're thinking of the half of, of well, what would half of 675,000 be? I gave you the hardest one. Let's go down to the, uh, the <laughs> so who just said it? Who said it? Because I don't have it written down in front of me. Three, what do what? <laughs> Three thirty-seven five hundred. Okay, so that's, that's the half that we're dealing with of the sheep. And so then this, this priestly tribute, look down to verse 28. Um, Levy for the Lord a tribute from the men of war who went out to battle. One out of 500 of the spoil is, is this priestly tribute. So of the men who went to war, they, they, um, the spoils of war is 337,500 according to Jason Sutherland of, uh, of sheep. And so then when you take that number of sheep and then one, one of every 500 of, of those sheep are to be given as a priestly tribute. And so did we do the math right here? One of every 500 of the sheep would be 675. What do we got? Are we okay? Mental math? Not mental math. I know everybody's looking at Jason like, speak up. Okay, so one of every 500 of that 337,500 would be 675. Uh, sheep that are this priestly tribute. So we don't have to like spend as much time now as what I, I'm doing here, but that, so that's the formula here. So, so you, the quantity of cattle, 72,000. You divide that in half because half went to the soldiers, half went to the congregation. And so that priestly tribute is that formula of one of every 500 of, of their spoil, the soldier's spoil, goes as this priestly tribute. Then to the congregation, you read about its instruction in verse 47, um, one of every 50 of the, um, the people's spoil is to be uh, given to the Levites. Because think about it, the Levites, the priests, they're not going into war. So they would, they would not get any spoil of war if they were not given, you know, spoil through these tributes. So, so 6,750 of the sheep would, would go to the Levites and on down the list you go. So that's what verses 25 through 54 speak of. God has commanded the Israelites to go to war with Midian. And they go to war and they are obedient um, to the Lord entirely. Um, so now jump down to verse 48. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the commanders of the thousands and the commanders of hundreds, came near to Moses and said to Moses, your servants have counted the men of war who are under our command and there is not a man missing from us. So, so God, God's the, the almighty God, the one true God who, who pours out his wrath on the Midianites, this formidable foe, um, these 12,000 men go into battle and, and 12,000 remain. And so their right response is worship. In fact, 
There's even a formula we could go to here of the Lord's instruction in Exodus uh, of what they, they've really, if you, if you go and count all the soldiers that remain, you call that a census. You know, they've gone and taken account. How many soldiers do we still have? 12,000 went into battle. How many are alive now? 12,000 are alive. And so there's this instruction in Exodus about the, um, this, this census tax really to pay of all those that you take a census of. And what's fascinating here is really they ought to have given one half a shekel for each man accounted for. And so then you're talking like 6,000 shekels would have been their right um, response to, or their required response, not, I don't like saying right, their, their required response would have been like 6,000 shekels. But here you see, I think just this act of worship where they give above and beyond, they give over what is required in their right response of just gratitude and praise to God for delivering them in this battle. Because look at verse 52, and all the gold of the contribution that they presented to the Lord from the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. They gave more, and um, I think I read that that's likely like 440 pounds of gold also. And so, again, uh, can we take Numbers 31 seriously? I mean, did they really like plunder 440 pounds of gold? Yes, yes, that's what the God's word says. And so, so yes, we, as much as this chapter might be under attack, the numbers are impressive, the numbers of the spoil. And God, God's glory is what's impressive most in that he, his, his power is on display so then, they have, they have gained victory in battle. It's the Lord who delivered them. And so then you move into chapter 32. Really, this is a, I, this is a interesting request. And, and I, I don't have to read it all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present the beginning of it and then explain the rest. Verse, 30, verse 1 and 32. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. Why? Because of God's blessing on them, right? All this stuff that we've read, Reuben and Gad, God has blessed them greatly. They have all this livestock. So continuing in verse one, they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So this land that they've been dwelling in, this Transjordan land, they have not entered into the, the promised land yet, but this, this land has served well for the livestock and, and they they're inclined to want to stay here. So verse two, the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and they said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, which I'm gonna skip, verse four, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock and your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to you, no, given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So you read Reuben and Gad putting two and two together. You know, the Lord has delivered us in these battles. He's given us this land. We, we possess this land because, because, because of God. God's the one who's given us victory. Uh, the, we have livestock. This land's great for livestock. Can we just stay here and not go into the land? That's their request. And, and so Moses responds in verse 6. Uh, Moses says to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? So Moses is concerned about their request. And what is Moses' concern about their request?
yeah. guys before, right? So they didn't. Very good. You're catching the the ultimate the real dis the real concern for Moses is you're going to discourage the rest from entering into the land by you staying back here while everybody else goes into battle. And so the connection, very good to recognize with that first generation. Think of the spies' report when you have. 10 spies discouraging the people from entering into the land because that the people are big. You know, that, that's their, their concern. And so Moses appeals here in, in verses 6 through 15. Uh, there's just a lot of reference to, uh, to the events that unfolded in, you know, chapter 14, even even quotes that are given all the way back chapters 11, 12, 13, 14. So, so Moses is very much concerned that their request is going to discourage the people from entering into the land because maybe they think, yeah, you know what? I mean, the promised land is going to be great, but this land is pretty great too. Why go into all this trouble? Let's just, let's just stay here. So, so Moses appeals throughout verses 6 through 15 to the events of uh, earlier in, in Numbers. So he talks about you know, this land that Yahweh has given us. That's what, that's what you know, Caleb would be saying back in, in Numbers uh, 14. And Moses is saying the same thing here. This land that we're entering into is the land that Yahweh has given us. Um, the Valley of Eskel is referenced. Yahweh's anger burning against the people is referenced. Um, the penalty for this act, this, this unfaithfulness was that they wandered in the desert for 40 years, the death, the destruction that awaited them in the desert in light of their, what they did in chapter 14. And so all of this is, is referenced by Moses in, in warning Reuben and Gad of what their request may lead Israel into. So then jump to verse 16. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds um, here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. And so Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for the war and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But, you know, and then he goes on to list, if they don't uh, faithfully adhere to these uh, commands, this is what will take place. You have, if you do not do so, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. So in this narrative, what an what a important verse for us just to, to cling to when we think of the omniscience of, of God, when we think of the holiness of God, and we think of our right response of obedience to God, and, and Moses just warns them that, that God knows all things, God 
God is um, always going to act in accordance with his perfect character. And he says, behold, if you sin against the Lord, be sure your sin will find you out. So tremendous application that could be taken from this just to focus in on verse 23. But indeed, they, they commit themselves to this, this agreement. And Moses is comfortable with the agreement, so much so that he then goes to Eleazar and Joshua and communicates to them in verses 28 through 30 the terms that have been given to Reuben and Gad. And this has been agreed upon and the people have committed to it. And so um, it's what's going to happen. Uh, They're going to go into battle with the Israelites. They're going to enter into the land, these men prepared for battle, and they will uh, continue to, to um, battle until um, the land is given to all the tribes and they're given their allotment. And so they agree to this and Moses agrees to terms as well. Okay, so then um, let's go ahead and, well, we're out of time. But uh, so you just see verse 33, and Moses gave to them, to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben and to the half tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and the land and its cities with their territories, the cities of the land throughout the country. And so, um, really, it's just, uh, you're, throughout both of these passages, the character of God shines forth in a variety of ways. Uh, As you look at God's dealings with his people, his long-suffering, his patience, but his, his wrath on sin, is, is definitely um, very clearly on display in both of, of these chapters. Um, so we do well to, to take him at his word and believe God and obey his commands. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we can spend in your word this morning. We thank you that we can gather amongst other believers to, to worship you, to praise your name to sit under the teaching of your word. God, I pray that what would characterize our worship today would be uh, God-centered and as we, as we look to the word, that our posture would be that of belief, that we would um, desire that you would give us ears to hear, that we would believe your word and obey your word and thus glorify you through such faith. So I pray that you would be uh, glorified today through our worship. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.